Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. This is not the end-all, be-all course. If you're a 101 level, no no expertise, no elk knowledge, do not take this course. Uh, this is zero fluff. It's my four-step system, right? So it's going to be over a few, a few of you guys' heads, but honestly, this is such a great framework to build off of. Check it out. Link in the show notes. Alrighty, Lucas. Welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? Good. Good. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah. We're in studio. We're going to do some Wapiti Wednesday. We were talking about elk hunting. You're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I know how to turn, know how to talk, do a podcast. I'm like, let's talk about elk hunting, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not great at telling stories, but I do like to talk elk hunting anyway. So have you always been an elk hunter? You know, I didn't grow up elk hunting. Um, I grew up central South Dakota on a farm, just hunted whitetails. Um, and after college, I moved out West. Actually, I had a couple elk tags when I lived in South Dakota. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually, I drew a couple there, uh, killed a 330 bull there and then a cow. <laughs> and, uh, so the 330 bull is your first bull. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the bull that got away, not saying it was a whole lot bigger, but that is what, that is what really got my fire burning for, oh, really? for elk hunting. Like that story is etched in my mind forever, you know, and it's not that it was a giant bull by any means, but I was 16 years old, bow hunting by myself. No idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know a bow hunter. I was, <laughs> I had actually just finally got a right-handed bow. I'd been shooting left-handed <laughs> cause that's all I had. Didn't know any different. And, really? Oh. And, uh. Man, that that sparked a fire in me of elk hunting. I'm like, this this stuff's hard, you know. <laughs> but when they're bugling and screaming, oh. and uh, so yeah, really. Uh, after college, I moved out here to Bozeman, got a job in Bozeman, and moved out here in 2001. And uh, nah, I've been archery elk hunting ever since. Um, so, Do you feel like you kind of have the same passion, or how much has it changed over the years? You know, I think the passion is the same. But the reasons for the passion has changed. Um, probably like I think a lot of elk hunters or any hunters kind of evolve with age. Mm-hmm. At first, when I moved to Montana, <clears throat> I had been bow hunting, you know, since I was 16 or something. I think I moved out here and I was 21 or 22. So I had a few years under my belt. But hey guys, when quick I interruption. Here, if you want to grab the Elk Hunt 201 course, my four steps to double your success. You know, I, I get right five, now, six, it's seven dough tags, you know, every yeah. year. And for life, and, uh, you get lifetime access um, with that price, and it's going to jump up after season. And then, season. of course, so you know, jump on it, go get it. Deer, and I know if you think you don't you have know, time, this is a sheep, much, much stuff. shorter course. So at first, it was just, I condensed it as much as I can. I was just learning, I was trying to soak up everything I can because the sport is so stinking hard, you know, when you're green. Yeah. Well, it's hard to jump on it, go get it for 20 minutes. Your were you right coming now, into it later like you absorbed up. more because you were like trying to learn everything you're like bl- you're trying to play catch up like i do feel like some of the guys um that i know that came into bow hunting late almost did better because they were like trying to play catch up and so they're like 
just vigilante about learning you know they're just like every every piece of information it's probably like the guys listening to this podcast we're talking about like who listens to this podcast before and it's like you know the people listening to this podcast are like they're trying to get every every piece of knowledge they can which is cool i I remember when i was you know getting into bow hunting and i was actually i think i was 14 when i started but that was kind of before the internet was Mm -hmm. super you know accessible and I'd get a magazine and I made sure I read every single word of that magazine, even though it might be duck hunting in Arkansas, but I might learn something from that, you know, and I would read every single article. Um, Just, I might pick up, you know, some sort of information that was, that would help me. Um, Guy struggled for years. I think I hunted deer in South Dakota. I don't think I killed a deer for three years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled, but. uh, So then you get an an elk tag in South Dakota and it's like hooked that's that's the thing right yeah i i did end up shooting a, a, a few deer and then uh i shot that elk and uh just hunting out there i was like oh man this this is what i love to do mm. so after college i decided i'm gonna for i'm gonna move out west somewhere and i ended up in bozeman uh no particular reason i just got a job here and i was like oh that's out west i'll do that <laughs> you know and i haven't left um <laughs> So when you move here, like, you're like, okay, first year I'm getting an archery elk tag. Like, how did that go? Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, we were talking about kind of how I've evolved maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, I was like, I, a friend of mine that I went to college with also from South Dakota moved out here with me at the same time. We got a job at the same place. We met in college, so we had cool. the same degree and, uh, him and I just started doing the typical walk around and bugle and cow call and hope for the best, you know, and, and I ended up shooting a little raghorn right outside of Bozeman here. Um, I'm like, well, this isn't that hard. Yeah. And I called it right in. He called it into me. I shot it at 30 yards, watched it tip over 50 yards away. <laughs> well, this isn't that hard. It was super fun. I mean, this isn't bad. Little did I know. <laughs> it was probably never going to be that easy again. Well, it's funny because we were talking before the podcast and I was telling you, like, um, one of the things like I've preached or pushed is this like 101 to 201 and then the 301. And I think we focus a lot on this, this 101 to 201. I was telling you, you know, 101 is the guy that wanders around hoping to get lucky. And like, I think we've all been there. Like anyone who's an elk hunter is like, we've had those days or periods in our career where like just like walking around making cow calls like oh, i don't know that hurts. i think this works you know like you're just hoping to get lucky and then 201 is kind of like the guy that creates a system or like figures something out maybe a spot out you know there's a million ways to to dice it like i don't even care if you shoot it out of a tree stand like you figure out a system and you're consistent and like that's kind of the next level you can sit consistently kill elk you're probably in that 10 percent of bow hunters who are killing elk every year you know, and then the next level, which is like something I'm still not there, but it's kind of like my goal to become is like the 301 or the assassin to be able to like find an elk and that's the one you're going to hunt one elk and kill him. You know, and then like, I don't, for whatever reason, that's like mm-hmm. the evolution of a hunter or some hunters, some never, some hunters, and there's actually a good portion of them like they go to the trad route. So instead of like, they become consistent with a compound and then they're like, cool, I want to make it harder. And they go trad bow, which is totally respectable. Like, like first for the most part, sometimes killing a giant bull is like unattainable for other reasons. You know, like it's, there's a lot of people who say it's like, Oh, it takes money or private or like, it's just not doable anymore. Hard tags to draw. There's, there's like, there's all, I get it. There's reasons like, but for me growing up as an Oregon kid, and I was telling you like, 
for whatever reason, like I've always had in my head that I wanted to hunt 350 bulls, like whatever number it was, you know, they didn't even hardly exist in yeah, Oregon. Yeah, like, yeah. like there's like two tags they can, you know, there's a few, few here and there, but like, it was just like this super rare thing. And I, even like from the Roosevelt perspective, like I remember like I can count on my hand right now, three or four Roosevelt's that are over 350. And like, those were always like, I don't know, the Goliath, right? Like you just, yeah, right. you like you're going after that. And I think like that has kind of bred what has become me as a hunter is like, just seeking out that next caliber of bull. And so like, anyway, to circle back on this long tangent, it's like, this is the the process of, for what I see and a lot of my friends and sounds like yourself, you know, like you start out wandering around and then kind of figure out a system. Yeah. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. I mean, my, I would say mine's maybe slightly different than that. You know, I, I, I was the one-on-one just walking around, mm-hmm. blowing a bugle cow call, get lucky. And then, and then it was, okay, after a few years of that and I kind of figure out a system on how to do this and the best ways, you know, to, to kill an elk and you get kind of consistent and all of a sudden it's like, well, now I have a lot of opportunities at elk in a season. Mm-hmm. Now, I, now I want a bigger bull, yeah. you know, and you start being selective and I spent a lot of years just being selective and just trying to kill big bulls. And I still enjoy killing big bulls, but it's, it's evolved now even to where like I enjoy just taking friends out. Totally. I, you get, know, I, I totally get that um, too. I, I could almost not even get a tag anymore and just go out because I just, I've, I've taken a couple of my buddies back from South Dakota who've never hunted elk, but they're bow hunters and mm-hmm. they've become bow hunters and whitetail hunters. And I brought them out here and I had my one friend, Billy, he come in and, and super appreciative guy, you know, like he knew he was coming in with a huge advantage, you know, having me in a, <laughs> an area that I knew well, I'd been hunting for 15 years and he comes in, shoots a 340 bull, and was 10 times more excited than I would have ever been killing a 340 <laughs> bull, you know? And it's like, that is what I, I, yeah. I got such a charge out of that. And then the next year, my other buddy Cole came out, same thing. He killed a three, I don't know, 40s somewhere bull um, with me. And I was right there. And it's like, again, super appreciative. Just, yeah. I, it was funner than if I would ever For shot sure. it, you know? For and sure. that's kind of how I've evolved. And then with my wife, Alicia and all, she loves the hunt and she killed an awesome bull last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and she's, she's more into it than I am anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but just to watch her kill, you know, stuff and go hunting and just taking her out. And, yeah. um, man, I get a kick out of that anymore. So that's kind of how I've evolved. And of course I, I still like to go kill big bulls too, if I can, but man if i can get someone else out there that really enjoys it and appreciative of it and understands like what a feat that is yeah, yeah. you know well and it's funny because we were i was bear hunting over the weekend and it, it, very similar like i don't honestly have a huge desire i like finding bears and i really have like i love finding big bears i like love watching other people shoot bears like <laughs> they get more excited than i would you yeah, know like yeah especially like the average bear like I don't know. Like I just, it's, it's more fun to me to take someone out and show them this thing. Or like, like I still love finding my bears. Like I am fairly obsessed with, with like, okay, you know, doing the research or scouting or whatever. And like, and then like you find it, like, but it's almost enough for me anymore to be like, (laughs) ha, found it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even, you know, big critters even. It's just someone that they might shoot a doe or a cow, but that's yeah. their first one or something. And they're just so excited. And I love to see that. Like I can see that's how I'm evolving as a hunter. And yeah, I can and, see that. Uh, 
I, I really get a kick out of that. And I'm also learning too, as the years go by, um, I like to learn new areas. Like I've hunted the same unit for 18 years, I think wow. something like that. So, you know, like the back of your hand. Oh yeah. Like the back of my hand. And I have for a lot of years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what I've always had in my pocket, you know, I was like, I don't need to scout. I can just go. And there's no elk here. I know where to go. And if there's no elk there, I know where to go. And, and, uh, this year, you know, I got a, I drew a different tag. We didn't go there this year just cause, uh, having a real hard time finding good quality bulls in there anymore. It's not like it used to be. I feel like I walk around all season just looking at elk and never like hunting. Yeah. You know? it's like <laughs> finally October comes and it's like, well, I guess I got to eat, <laughs> you know? So we went with a different unit this year and, and, uh, we've been scouting it hard. You know, we went out shed hunting, I think seven or eight weeks in a row weekends, oh, wow. you know, some three, four day weekends and, Google Earth and Onyx and Base Map, man. I'm just Google. diving all the oh, way. Oh yeah, and it's fun. Like I've never, I haven't done this in yeah, yeah. you know huh, 17, 18 years. You know, so and it's kicking my butt, man. Like shed hunting, I got my butt kicked this year compared to what I usually <laughs> do, but it was so, fun. So let's back up and talk. Like, what were the kind of the systems that you graduated into? Going from you know the the 101, just walking around trying to get lucky and like you know, how did you find your system? And like, you know, like how did you go about like creating this or was it just, just kind of what naturally happened? Um, I think it's, it just comes from failure, you know? <laughs> yeah, like anything. Uh, yeah. Um, trial and error, trial and error, you know, and, and absorbing everything. And when something doesn't work, why didn't it work? What can I do? So what know? were the biggest mistakes you think you made in those early days? Oh, okay. Uh, there's a lot of them. You got a walk, you got a minute? <laughs> okay. So I think like one of the biggest mistakes, you know, um, I made was trying to cover too much country really? and hunt, hunt a ton of country a little bit rather than just focus on an area and understand it, learn what the elk are doing, learn what the people are doing, mm. learn how the elk travel in those areas or deer or antelope. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's all kind of the same, but just hone in on a smaller area and you wear yourself out a lot less. You know, I, I just, man, I would drive here and I'd drive over there, hike in here and hike in over here. And I was never getting very good at hunting those animals anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you're like working really hard to, to know all of them, but never really like honing in on like the habits of this one herd. Right. Or and, how they travel in that particular habitat. Mm. You know, um, that was a big mistake I made, um, that I, will do different going forward. Yeah. Um, I wasted a ton of time, you know, just, just kind of going at, at it half-heartedly trying to consume so much country. There's so much public land out here. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you just gotta pick a spot and give it some time. If it's, if it doesn't work, you're not finding what you want, move on, but give it some time. You know, you can't hunt it for one morning or one night or, even a weekend, mm. you know? Um, and that's kind of how I've evolved my hunting is I've just slowly learned it and learned it and could just get it dialed in to where I know exactly where the, if I can't find a critter here, I probably know why, you know, why were they, why are they not here today? Hey guys, quick interruption. If you want to grab the elk hunt 201 course, four steps to doubling your success right now, it's twenty nine ninety nine. 
for life. You get lifetime access with that price and it's going to jump up after season. So jump on it, go get it. And I know if you think you don't have time, this is a much, much shorter course. It's, I condensed it as much as I can. There's no fluff and there's audio only version. So you can listen to this on your way to elk hunting camp, jump on it, go get it for $29.99 right now before it goes up. And it's funny because we yeah. talk about like Eastern Montana and like, as you we were saying that, I was like, man, I definitely have made that mistake in trying to learn Eastern Montana. I'm bouncing. There's like, there's pros and cons to like having lots of options. And sometimes I'll say like people hunt too small of an area and they also hunt too big of an area. Like I, in, I, when I was hunting Idaho, I would bounce, I would be able to bounce across the mountain to find bulls that were bugling, you know, to find the herd that was, you know, willing mm-hmm. to talk or whatever. But I feel like Eastern Montana is such a broad thing. <laughs> They're like, you can't, you could, you could bounce 500 miles, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, so you just you, burn yourself. Yeah. Out. Like you're burning it. Like I could see how that's applicable there. Or, and I, I think I'm guilty of that. You're like, there's too many options. So you never really figure out any of the options and, very and, well. And you made a good point. You can't focus in on one state section somewhere and hope yeah. to kill an elk on that either. You yeah. know, you do have to yeah, and so it's like it's middle. like yeah, somewhere in the middle, and like, but it's so different when you talk about the Eastern Montana game, where you're like talking about small chunks of public, or yeah, I would say small chunks of public versus you know an entire national forest yeah. or something like that. Um, and we were talking about before the podcast. I was like, man, Eastern Montana frustrates me. Like, it's, <laughs> like, it's like my yeah. it's the opposite of what I grew up. And I really love learning how to hunt new elk and thing like that, but. Sometimes it's like, I just like, okay, I want to go back to Colin Elk. I love Colin Elk. And like, that's what I want to do. And then we were turkey hunting out in East and I was like driving through and told my wife, I was like, part of me just feels like I got to conquer this thing. Cause it's kicking my ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't be more opposite that. Right? I don't, I don't know how many bills I've killed out. He's 17 or 18 now. I've killed one every year since 01, I think. Wow. That's impressive. But I've only ever called in two. And killed. I've called in a bunch, but really, I think I've only ever killed two that I've called in. Yeah. Do you think so? Are you an anti-calling person? I would say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I haven't carried a bugle in ten years, probably. <laughs> but I do carry cow call. You know, they come in handy occasionally, and sometimes you need to stop something or. Um, I, I don't know. I don't like them knowing I'm around. I guess so. I just play the silent game and and sneak in on them. Um, you, I don't know. That's my strategy. Yeah. I never, I never call. I shouldn't say ever, but last ditch, you know, effort. Worst case maybe. scenario. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny. There's a lot of Montana people that are like that, and I would like. I don't know. A part of me used to say I could. You can call in any elk depending on the day. But I also believe that Eastern Montana and any open country. This could be Eastern Wyoming. It could be in you know Southern Wyoming, whatever. Uh, Colorado for that matter, like very, very open country is not conducive to calling. Yeah. And, but even those elk, if you put them in tight quarters seem to not be conducive to calling. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I honestly don't even try it enough. I used to try it. Right. That's why I don't do it because I just been burned (laughs) so many times, you know, I've called to some big bulls and I've called to some big bulls and they just kind of gather up their cows and leave. And I'm like, 
I knew better than to do that. You know? <laughs> I feel like that's every Montanan's like <laughs> approach to it. Like, yeah, I called one time. It didn't work. Calling does not work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so what's the average day look like then? Like anymore? Like do you start your day glassing from a high point and you like just find a herd or? What? Yeah, typically I, I like to glass, you know, I, I use my spotting scope religiously. Um, I'll just get on a high spot, you know, before light uh, glass look, you know, and, uh, try to find a bowl that I want. Um, if I don't, you know, just hang out all day or just keep glassing, um, or move on, you know, like if it's in an area where I can, um, get somewhere without the other, the other thing go off on a little tangent here. You talked about some of the mistakes you made. One of the other mistakes I made was just hunting so hard that you just burn yourself out. It's like, Oh, really? always the next ridge, you know, Oh, it's the next ridge. Yeah. He's going to be over the next ridge, you know? And, and after a while I used to take two weeks off at a time, 16 days. And I just go out and hit it for 16 days. And I would just burn myself out. And I made so many dumb mistakes because I'm tired. I'm hiking. I'm looking at my feet, you know, yeah. and I'm blowing out elk and not paying attention because I've been doing this day in and day out and logging all these miles and just making stupid mistakes where nowadays I'll go out for four five, six days, maybe take a break, come back to town, recoup, rest up, go back out for another four or yeah. five days or two days or three days, whatever it is. Um, How do you I'm feel way more that changes you? Because I got a good friend that's a really good hunter, and like he, he's very similar. Like he doesn't hunt the weekends, so he'll hunt all week and then go home. And like, and I, I do one hundred percent agree with you. Like I've said this about like when we were growing up hunting blacktails, the season didn't get good until the last three days, but yeah. everyone would burn themselves yeah. out in the first twenty. Yeah, and you're like, just wait, just wait, just wait, and then like, and there's something truth to that. I think people want to believe that they're more mentally tough or more hardcore. Than they really are. Like I'm pretty mentally tough. I get burned out like 20 some days. Like I'm making, and even if I want to be there, I'm making stupid mistakes. Yeah. Like you talk about. Yeah. Even you don't even realize it sometimes, you yeah. know, you look back at that day, you're like, Oh, what the heck? And well, no wonder, <laughs> you know, or, or someone brings it to your attention, you know, like sometimes I'm yeah. very, uh, everything I do is spot and stock for the most part. So I'm very conscious. Like not walking on ridge tops and ridge mm -hmm. lines, you know, and sometimes my wife will call me out and be like, Hey, you're being lazy. You're walking on the ridge. Ah, you're right. I didn't want to side hill cause I'm tired, you know, yeah, interesting. I've been hunting for a week, you know, it's like yeah. you get lazy and you walk on the ridge, you know, and things like that. So you think that like in the early days of hunting 16 days straight, that was that much of was like, is it cause I, I, the, the argument, or I guess the, the, the argument against that would be like, knowing knowing that country being in it for 16 days straight do you feel like it's worse to make those mental mistakes or those small mistakes versus knowing exactly what the elk have been doing for the last 16 days i do um at least where i go and the way i hunt definitely um i don't really typically have a problem finding elk so it's not like i'm walking around aimlessly just trying to yeah. locate some elk i'm like if i don't find some in a day or two, it's pretty rare. Um, so I don't have that. It's just, it takes a lot of miles to find them and you're just hiking and hiking and typically, uh, hot, you know, in early September, yeah. mid September, it can be hot. Um, I'm, I'm not traditionally hunting at 10,000 feet. You yeah, know? Yeah. So 
it's hot and it just takes a toll on you from all the miles logged and behind the glass, you know, sit, sit hours and hours behind the glass, you know, picking country apart, looking for stuff. And you, you just make mistakes. I find I hunt way better in five or less day increments. Interesting. That is really interesting. Uh, so many questions right now. Uh, so talking about a lot of this seems like you would take a lot of scouting to know country that well, or to, I guess, to find the vantages, I, I guess e-scouting, that country is really hard because you can't, if you take flat country, it's hard to find to east, in my opinion, hard to find or find e-scout uh, like glassing knobs and things like that. Like there's some, but then you never really know if you can see anything or you can't see anything. So like backing up, like the, uh, you're talking about the efficiency or like working in five day increments. Like how did you, how do you get to that point? Like how do you e-scout this now looking at your new area, your new map, like you don't have all the same glassing points. You don't have all the historical data of where the elk are. Like, are you finding all of this? Like I'm finding I know very little about how to do this. <laughs> yeah, this this so, so the prior experience is like years and years and years of boots on the ground and you figure it out. That was exactly it. I didn't even know what e-scouting was, you know, back then. I didn't even look at Onyx and you know, Google Earth. Well, Onyx didn't even exist, you know, but but uh yeah, I it's mostly I think and, and the other thing that I I really try to do um is whether it's good or bad, when something happens, understand why, you know, um, why are they elk here today? What are they doing? Okay. Where are they coming from? Where are they headed? Why are they here? And try to understand that. And, uh, same thing is you're like, man, this looks like great elk country. Like, why are there no elk in here? You know, and try to understand why they're not there rather than just be like, well, oh, we'll go over the next ridge. Maybe they'll go over the Dude, next Dude, that's ridge, what you know? I struggle with when I hunt anything. Cause I've hunted Eastern Wyoming, I've hunted Eastern Montana and like nothing looks like elk country to me. Like <laughs> someone will be like, yeah, it's elk country. I'm like what? But no, no, it's not. <laughs> and so like, I really, really struggle with that. Like I, you know, and then I know, I don't know, like they could be really anywhere. Like they're yeah. coolies. They're freaking yeah. no trees. They're in the trees. Like, I'm like, I don't know what elk country And sometimes is. it's unexplainable. I mean, for <laughs> sure they get bumped and they just run in there and yeah. you happen to find them in there. That happens sometimes, but Really, but do you think there is a, a method to the madness? There truly it? is. Um, I really see that in my shed hunting where you go out in eastern Montana, you know, so much of that country looks the same. And it's like every year consistently I'll find sheds on a few ridges, you know, Kirk's. And you don't a mile away. There's never sheds over there. And you get to looking at it. It's like, okay, I see, you know, there's certain grasses that they like that don't exist over here mm. you know and there's certain hillsides that have this like black dirt on it that burns off and that's where the first grass really starts to grow there's no sagebrush on those hillsides that's where all the horns are laying you huh. know they're not a mile away where it's it's a lot of grass but it's full of sagebrush and and they they don't really winter there and it's the same in in the fall you know they're in certain areas for certain reasons whether it's uh, cover or uh, seclusion, you know, or, or, yeah. or water, typically not water, so much water out there. Um, but you learn over time. If you, if you, if you think about the situation, like, okay, why, why are there mule deer here? Why, what are they doing here? You know, why, yeah. why aren't they over here? And you might not understand that day, but after doing it enough times, you're like, okay, I understand they're okay. here for 
this is what they, look at this is what they're always feeding on or this is where they're always bedded they yeah. like to bed in this type of stuff yeah you know and this type of stuff doesn't exist a mile away or two miles away yeah when you when you look at it and we had talked about like one of the problems with me in eastern montana is that there's you know too many units it's too big an area do you think it's better to look at like one unit and master it i do and i definitely do and i started off you know i i i drew the 900 tag this year mm -hmm. which encompasses pretty much <laughs> yeah. all of eastern montana you know yeah. and uh i started off this you know trying to understand this huge huge area like oh this piece and then this piece and then this piece and i'm finding like i have to work too you know yeah. like, i just can't <laughs> i can't hit all these places you know oh, and, and hike them and look for sign and all this so you just got yeah pick a spot and and then like, that's one of the number one things i can say to anyone that's really trying to you know improve their game is it's Pick a spot that has what you're looking for. You know, mm -hmm. if you're looking for a 400 inch elk, don't don't understand the bridgers, right? Don't try to figure out the <laughs> yeah. bridger mounds. Like they don't exist. You're just yeah. you're spinning your wheels. You know. Yeah. But on vice versa, if you, if you want to kill a raghorn and you're looking for quality quantity of elk, mm -hmm. there's units like that. You know, but find those areas that you know are conducive to what you're looking for, and just learn it. And it's not going to happen overnight. So many people want to just speed track this. You know, mm -hmm. and like oh. Okay, figure this out by by fall or next fall. You know, yeah. it takes time yeah. and it takes boots on the ground and and uh, it, it just takes work. You know, do you feel like it would make someone a better hunter to hunt lower quantity and higher quality, or would it make you a better hunter to hunt the quantity and not the quality? Because I've talked a lot about you know, getting at bats. And I think to be a good elk hunter, it's important to get at bats. Like you have to have opportunities. Like, um, I know there's a lot of guys that still hunt, like I'm just going to beat up on Washington for a second, but like if you hunt Washington and you're getting one to three at bats per year, you're not becoming a very good elk hunter very quickly. You know what I mean? And I don't care if you're calling or you're stalking, you know, spot and stalking. Like if you get one spot and stock or two spot and stocks the entire year, you didn't mm. learn very much, yeah. you know, you know, and so I always talk about at bats. And so I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, this unit's got potential for 360 bulls or 370 bulls. I'm like, there's four elk in the whole unit. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's tough. Yeah. And I think it's what you want out of it. If you're only going to hunt elk once every 10 years when you draw that tag, maybe that's what you're looking for. But, yeah. you know, guys like you and I that are going Not out every year. every year, you know, that's what I tell people, you know, they're kind of getting into it. They're like, ah, oh, you know, like, how did you learn how to do it? And it's like, man, I shot more doves, you know, than, than you can imagine, you know, <laughs> and I would, I would work the system. There's some areas you can shoot, you know, five white tail does and you can shoot mule deer does. And uh -huh. you used to be able to get two 900 antelope does plus the buck, you know, and I just, I was into it. And, and, uh, that's how you get their reps. You know, you're, you're shooting, 10, 12 critters a year, you know, with your and you bow. you think that made you a better elk hunter? Oh, yeah. Uh. I mean, I, yeah, it's all spot and stock, you know, and and uh, it, it it's funny. It's all a little different, but it's all the same, whether you're spot and stock on a mule deer, white tail or uh. elk or an antelope. And you, want, you get to understand, you know, how certain critters you can make different choices, you know, based yeah. on. No, that's so but, true. But the, the, the core... Um, 
um, well, the way you do it is fundamentally the same. No, and I think that's I think that's a really good point. Like finding elk, getting in on elk is one thing, but the final moments of a stock, the shooting, the process of shooting, you know, the choosing a point on an animal, like those are all fundamentals that stick with you. And that, I don't care if you're shooting pigs. That you can only get from the reps. You can yeah. you can shoot your target in your backyard all you want. <laughs> and that's honestly the number one thing I would tell hunters and I, I tell them whenever I get asked is the number one thing is is when you gotta shoot, you just want to get the shot over with, right? Like yeah. you're just amped and and rushing it. Yeah. It's like take you almost always have those two seconds. Take that two seconds, aim small, miss small, and make a good shot. Because I I don't know how many times I've rushed the situation, you know, because the adrenaline gets going and you just want the damn shot to get over with, you know? Yeah, this is my shot. This is the opportunity. This yeah. is it. This and I don't have moment. time. I don't have a guy to shoot right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really true. You know, no. you look back on it and you're like, oh, man, <laughs> I could have totally made a better shot, you know, if yeah. I would have just taken my time. How many times do you mess it up and be like, I wish I would have slowed down? Yeah. That's the first thought. Like, I wish I would have just taken a second and, you know. Yeah, and the it. other thing with that is, like, with hunting, there's so many things you can't control. You know, the wind swirls, not really your fault. Yeah. You know, critter comes up 80, 100 yards away, not really your fault. But the shot, it's like I always, always want to execute the best shot I can because that's what I can control. And when I screw that up, that's on me. You know, wind swirls, eh, that's hunting. Yeah. It's funny because uh, <laughs> I was telling you about watching Wayne Carlton videos as a kid before the podcast. And uh, there's something from a video that always stuck with me. And I forget what it was. But Wayne said something about, you know, like. Basically, if you don't get the shot you want, just be patient. Nine times out of ten, they'll give you that shot. And it's so true. Like, they get close. You know, elk gets closer. You get close. And you you think, this is it. He's about to step away. And, like, nine times out of ten, like, <laughs> they give you that shot if you don't rush it. And, you know, maybe the one time they don't. But don't mess up because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you rushed a shot. Yeah, what happens is, is like, you know, you get excited. You know, you get, you know, the buck fever you know and i've learned over the years just like that's cool that's gonna happen but you have to just suck that in until the shot's over with yeah. then you can fall apart and lose your shit but, <laughs> but you can't do that before you you know before you you know shoot that arrow because you know, once once if you if you let that emotion take over i mean you can't hold your pin steady and yeah. you just want to shoot you just want it over with yeah. Well, and this goes back to like being day 20 or day 15 or even day 10. Like, man, I, you're this, it's funny because it's never come up on the podcast, but you're the second person I know that's like had this style of like days on, days off and like oh. walking away during season. And there's got to be something to that though. Um, I think that it's pretty smart. And maybe it's more so like in the area that, you know, the open country those type of hunts. I guess no, because I, I would say it's probably the same. I think the other the downside is that if you're hunting the backcountry, you know, the mountains, it takes so much work to get there that yeah. you can't be like five days on, take a couple yeah. days off. But you know, the other part of that is just the physical exhaustion where um you're just tired, you know, and sometimes it's like, I should really go over that next ridge, you know, but it's like I'm I'm beat down. I don't, if yeah. I do that, I'm going to get back. It's going to be midnight tonight by the time <laughs> I get back to camp and that's going to ruin my morning hunt. So you don't do it. Where when you're fresh, you know, you're like, oh yeah, 
we're going over that ridge, you know, yeah. uh, or, or sometimes, you know, like kind of the style I hunt a lot of times I got to get in front of an animal, you know, try to cut it off and get in front of it and hope it comes by and you take off running and you know, your time crunch, like go, 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 go get there. And when you're tired and exhausted, you're like, eh, I'm just not going to make it today. <laughs> I, I can't get there in time. When well, ultimately you probably could. I want to dive into this. Cause so, I mean, I really want to dive into like locating elk and then we're going to, we're going to talk about locating elk and, and finding elk in a unit. So we talked about like, Hey, choosing a unit and then, you know, how to locate, how to systematically approach that. And then remind me in case we get off topic, I want to circle back uh, to like getting in front of elk versus like when to, when to make an assault, I guess. Uh, so going back to like <laughs> scouting, uh, say you hypothetically choose a brand new unit. You've never been there before. Like, what's what's your system like how do you go about locating elk are you like okay i'm gonna drive every road in the unit i'm gonna find all the best glassing places or like do i look for black dirt or this day and age you can pretty much tell every single access point Mm. you know without even stepping foot in it um occasionally a certain road might not show up or it says it's blocked and it's open but 97 percent of the time you kind of know the access routes and and I'll plot that all out on a map so I can physically see it, yeah. you know, like here's the access points. And I think I heard other people on your podcast say this too, and I'm a firm believer in this. Maybe you even say it, but people, everyone wants to go further and farther and deeper yeah. and deeper in, you know. And the farthest point. <laughs> yeah, you know, they like find all the access points. Well, here, this is a furthest spot from a road. That's where I'm going, you know, and, and I think people i know they do i mean i I see this all the time people are walking by elk you know or deer or whatever because they think they got to be all the way to the back or into the middle somewhere Mm. you know um so i I don't look for those areas um more of of where i think other people might not go because of because of terrain um um i feel like i'm probably in better physical shape than most so if there's a mountain, people, most people are going to look at that and be like, that's really steep. I don't want to get over that. Like, that's where I want to go. Cause yeah. I know I can get up and over that and I'll probably weed out. I might only be a half a mile, yeah. you know, but most people are, are going to choose to not go up that. Um, so I look for areas maybe like that. So I might not be that far from an access point, a trailhead or a road, but maybe more traditionally harder to get into. Um, you just, I don't have horses, so you just can't compete with the horses sometimes when you're trying to go four, five, ten miles back. Yeah, but, you know? well, I think it boils down to, like, taking the most resistance, and I don't think distance is the most resistance. Right. I you would know agree. what I mean? And, like, you know, Montana's interesting because you have so many horse people, but what you find is that horse people will go deep, but not, you know, mm-hmm. won't scale through things. Yeah. Like, there's interesting. They can't. Know, yeah, they can. Yeah. And it's just not practical. Um, yeah. Okay, go ahead. The other thing before I lose my train of thought that I really look for is I think people, and I think I've heard you even say this, people look for the big chunks of ground, you know, yeah. like, oh, I got 10 sections I can hunt here or, yeah. or the whole forest service or something. And, and, uh, they overlook the one square mile or the half a mile section or the two sections. And, and a lot of times that's where the best hunting can be. And sometimes you got to play that game of, okay, they're not here today, but. I can see their sign all over. They've been here. They spend time here. I'm going to come back a couple times and figure out when that is. Yeah. When that is. And if I can catch them here and that sort of thing. So um, when do you like, when does that start for you? Like, so hypothetically you choose a unit, 
you draw a tag, like, is that start? I mean, what we're mid, uh, early June. So, I mean, are you spending all summer? Like, yeah, I mean, I forgot the glassing points. Like, how's that look? Yeah. So, you know, the unit I picked this year, you know, I really haven't spent much time in other than doing some deer hunting in November. I've been out there a little bit, but I don't know much about it for elk, but I've been out there eight or nine trips already. Oh, wow. Um, and it's, a four and a half hour drive one way every time, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I log between pretty hardcore between my wife and I, we've logged 161 miles on our boots out there. That's um, impressive. And it's what June 1st now, not a lot to show for it, but <laughs> <laughs> we've put in a ton of time, ton of effort. And, and I'm just, I've really got into the e-scouting thing this year. And I have all these places I want to check out yet that I haven't been to. But the time that I have spent out there, it's been great. You know, there's so many areas I know I'm not going to go back in this fall, <laughs> you know, and that's as important as finding Dude, where to go. 100%. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like what not to look for. Yeah. Um, and, but there's something to be said for like just spending time in a unit, I, you know, like what you learn, what you don't learn, the things where you're not going to go, like just knowing you start to see patterns. I really do believe you start to see patterns. Like you, there's so many things you're going to take and it's for the new hunter, it's not really as applicable because you have so much experience. Yeah. Maybe it's a different unit, but you have so much experience seeing things. You're going to see patterns, see terrain features that you're like, Oh, this looks like things I've usually seen. Or, you know, the elk sign here seems to look like what I see and that replicating into what I see in September or October, you know, where elk hang out in October or where they hang out early season, things like that. I'm sure there's a ton of that that pulls in. Yeah. I mean, just the times that I've been out there so far this year, I've, I've noticed where the elk like to be in the fall. Um, because you can pretty much tell by, you know, their the rubs and stuff. And, uh, it's pretty consistent where I'm seeing these, these rubs, you know? Um, so now when I get on, you know, Google earth or whatever, I'm like, okay, these are the features I'm looking for because I can see this is where they're kind of spending their time in the fall or yeah, on, yeah. on these particular features, you know, and that just takes boots on the ground, you know, hiking and, um, it's just no shortcut. That's <laughs> I mean, so true, man. People want a shortcut all the time, me included, but I just haven't found it if there is. <laughs> so when you, when it comes to, I mean, you'll probably spend the rest of the season covering a lot of ground, uh, parties looking, I'm sure looking for cows, you know, looking for a big bull, hopefully you turn one up, but understanding where the cows are, where the bulls are, um, in that type of season. I mean, is there anything else you look for throughout the summer? Yeah. You know, I haven't even really obviously been looking for bulls and even really have yeah. their horns, but I'm just looking for sign, like where they hang out. Yeah. And if I can try to tell the time of year that they were there and that's, that's kind of hard, you know, minus, you know, the rubs and stuff. Um, but now coming up, it's, you know, they're starting to grow their horns and, and, uh, I'll probably start running some trail cameras. Oh, you run trail um, cameras? You know, I really haven't, except the last few years I have, more for fun. I've never killed an elk that I've ever had on trail <laughs> camera or anything. It's more or less just kind of for fun. But uh, this year I'm going to try to be a little more diligent. It's hard when the cameras are four and a half, you yeah, know, yeah. hours away. and Totally. You know. You, never check them. Yeah, um, you check them every, you know, couple of weeks maybe. You get a, you yeah. know, cards are full and beef cattle have rubbed on them and they're yeah. pointing in the sky or something. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny cause like <clears throat> open country and I don't care where you're at, but open country elk 
have a tendency to move very long distances. And so yeah. you could sit there and scout all summer and you could have one spot that has no elk in it. And, you know, you think you have elk, you're looking at a lot of elk and September 5th, when season opens, those elk could go 20 miles, you know, and, and be somewhere completely different. And that's why I think you're, you're spot on. It's really good to look for things like rubs, looking for a sign of elk in that time frame. I used to scout a lot and it never really worked for me because once hunters show up, everything changes, everything changes. Yeah. And, um, there's been times where I've run some trail cameras and done some scouting and physically seen them and watched them and I've still never killed them, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so they, what's the secret to like, is it just being able to find elk during a season? I mean, cause essentially that boils down to like being able to adapt to like changing environments, which I think is, man, that's huge. Like, like you said, like you can have all the elk in the world and season hits and pressure is like this variable that you didn't know or it could change year to year. Like, yeah. Something I, could be I think there. one thing I've learned that I didn't factor in when I was younger probably is really understanding people and hunting people, you know, pressure. It's like, where are the, what are these guys doing? Where are they coming from? You know, where are they headed? You know, yeah. what's going to happen when they push these out? You know, where before I didn't really factor in the whole people aspect of it but i don't care where you go there's just there's, there's some pressure from somewhere so how do you approach pressure how do you like how do you not negate it because you can't but like how do you work around it here's an idea i'm a pretty aggressive hunter if i see an elk a deer that i want to kill i'm either going to kill it or spook it one <laughs> of the two you know there's none of this oh i'll come back and watch him for a few days until he's in a good spot Really? That, that never works. No, I never. So you're just all out, like all in. Unless the odds are so slim yeah. that it's like, I, I, you know, I'm never going to get in there. I'm not going to try. But if I see something I want to shoot, yeah, yeah, I pretty much go for it. If um, you saw a 400 bull opening day, you'd never seen it before. You see a 400 bull. Are you just like going after it? Or are you like, ah, got to wait for the perfect no, moment. No, no, no. I'll, yeah, I'm going to kill it or I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to blow it out of the country because I just, I haven't had good luck with letting them, you know, I've tried it, you know, I was like, oh, there's a, there's a good bull, but he's not in a good spot. You know, I'll, I'll come back tonight. I'll, I'll watch him all day. Maybe I'll get in on him tonight. And inevitably you can't find him again or someone spooks him or something or, um, especially the overnight thing. If I, if I spot one in the morning, you know, I'll, I'll sit on it maybe all day and hope for something good. You Cause know. at least you can keep an eye on it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can keep an eye on it. The thing of leaving them, you know, in the evening and coming back for the morning and hoping he's there somewhere. Phew, occasionally. And like I said, if the odds are actually killing it are almost zero, I'll leave it. But yeah. otherwise I'm, I'm going for it. <laughs> really? That's interesting. <laughs> what you were talking about, um, like trying to get in front of a herd. So like you spot elk, does this change? Does your kind of tactic change from opening weekend to last week in September? Or do you like, does it shift around or is it pretty much the same tactic I'm going in? I would say it's pretty much the same, except um, early season, like the first few days of season when there's no pressure and those um, bulls are kind of bachelored up yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's hot typically. Um, I'll focus a lot more on, on uh, maybe water then. Uh, when it's hot and and they're kind of predictable then, you know, they're not rutting yet. So it's like if I if I see a bull and I can't get on him and 
I feel comfortable he's going to be there again tomorrow yeah. um, because he's not out chasing cows. And, you know, those bulls in eastern Montana, they only go five miles is nothing for them to go chase cows, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but after the rut gets going, you get into the second week of September, then my tactic, you know, definitely changes. Then it's all in, you know, if I see it, I'm going for it. Do you feel like, I mean, I know you like to hunt big bulls and chase big bulls. So speaking on like, this is like the 301, like, Hey, I'm going after a giant opening week. Are you, I mean, obviously like they're not running. So you're kind of trying to find that bull off by himself and you're going to try to like put a stock on him and shoot him. If you have elk, say you have a herd of elk opening weekend uh, are you going to like keep watching that herd of elk to see if a big bull shows up or are you just going to keep looking at other places? Um, I'd probably just keep looking other places. I mean, if there's a herd of cows, you know, kind of milling around, um, at least where I go, those big bulls don't show up with those cows until second week of September, you yeah. know, there'll be some raghorns, some little sixers that are chasing them around doing their thing. But those big bulls are still off by themselves. And that's that's just such a prime opportunity to kill them, you know, because they don't have a harem yet. Yeah. They're not surrounded by satellite bulls. Oh, that was my next question. It was like, do you think it's easier to kill big bulls by themselves or by or in a herd? Yeah, but, you know, by themselves. That's why I, the other uh, – I like to hunt the first week of season because those bulls are kind of by themselves. They might be bastard up. They might be two, three. Yeah. Sometimes those big bulls are by themselves even. And that's just like so prime to get in on them, you know. They haven't had a lot of pressure yet, you know. And then the last week of season, um, I can never hold out that long. But man, the hunting is so good. Then uh, <laughs> this has come up a few times, and like I, I've been like warned that I should not talk about like October hunting, and no. <laughs> it's fine. I just think it's comical. <laughs> like I do agree. Uh, Hunting pressure drops to zero because it gets yeah. back to like we were talking about, like people hunt for 20 days and they're over it. They're all Snow burnt flies, out by then. Like, I quit. Yeah. It's great hunting. But yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. You know, so many people will tell you, and, and I mean, this is my opinion and you get a hundred different opinions, but that second and third week, you know, people tell you that, oh, that's the best week. Take the second, third week of September off. You know, I find like that's super hard time for me to kill an elk. I like very early season or very late. Late in the year, you know, there's only a few cows, you know, maybe in heat and those bulls are just moving. They're looking and they're scrambling. They're bugling, you know, um, very vulnerable, you know, um, we're during the middle of the rut and stuff. It seems like they're always with harems of cows and can't obviously call them away from their harems and they got satellite bulls around them and usually have a bunch of cows. It's just so hard. Yeah compared to i feel like late season i've had such good luck late season like october you know middle of october first week of october hunting pressure drops off like you said people are burnt out mm -hmm. and those bulls are just fired up because there's not that many cows in heat anymore are you like when you're glassing say let's any time in october but you you set up you're doing your glassing does that change at all or are you like you're going back to like glassing places where you think bulls would go more remote like checking Coolies, are you just still watching cow, her, herds of cows? Yeah, um, still trying to, you know, if I find cows, it'll be a, there'll be a big herd bull, you know, around. Yeah, um, maybe not in the herd, but he's close by. Yeah, or usually even with her, there's not too many. Um, yeah. When do you feel like the big bulls pull off? After season, I mean, I really? think after archery season. I huh? mean, what what'll happen at least? 
what I've experienced is those bulls will, if there's a harem of cows, you know, they'll go in there and they'll sniff around, sort them all out. And, and if there's nothing in there, they're moving, you know, if there's nothing in heat, they're moving on, you know, checking more. they're checking, trying to find more and I'll catch them all the time. Just nose on the ground, moving, just sniffing, you across know, across the country, across the country, you know, and that's like I said, you got to kill them if you have an opportunity because you never know where they're going to end up. Yeah. You know, they might be five true. miles away and trying to find <laughs> them again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, man, they bugle so hard that, you know, late October or late in the season, October, which is like second, third week of October usually. Um, uh, that's been by far hands down the best hunting that I find every year. Do you locate more bulls by audible, like by hearing bugles or do you locate them more by spotting scope? Mm, probably more spotting scope. Really? Yeah, um, wind tends to howl out true, east. You true, know, true. like it's a lot of times, you, they might be there. You just can't hear them sometimes. Um, but I, I, I'll sit hours behind my glass, you know, and just pick stuff apart, you know, and I'll sit there for hours, and then if I don't find anything, I'll just move to the next. Might be a mile away. Get on another ridge or on something, and just start picking it apart again. And a lot of times, you sit there long enough, it's like something just pops out, you know, walks well, it's out. It's so weird, like Eastern Montana, open country, because this, I hate saying he's just in Eastern Montana. We're talking about that because you and I both have found it over there. Um, but Eastern Wyoming, New Mexico, Colorado, again, open country yeah, it's all the same. tends to, it's like, I think elk should just stand out. And like, I'm like, I look, no elk, keep moving, you know? And like, I know that's wrong. And like, I've got better at, picking it apart mm -hmm. and like looking it's just like trying to find a mule deer but i just feel like to me my mindset is always like i feel like i'll just stand out if i don't see him i don't keep looking or whatever but the great hunters like the great open country hunters i've learned you gotta pick that country <laughs> apart and just look for like you know any little piece of an elk or something but and there's tough. almost always more cover than it it looks like from so what you're true. sitting. And, so you know, true. Like when you walk out there, you're like, oh man, tons of area I couldn't mm -hmm. see out here that I thought I could. Yeah. What's, but, um, what advice do you have for locating elk? For locating elk? Um, you know, kind of like we talked about, I, I, I like to get high and look glass and I realize you can't do that in timbered country, mm -hmm. you know, but I do a a lot of if it's windy and I'm having a hard time here and I'll try to tuck down somewhere out of the wind where I can maybe hear bugles and you know off in the distance um I don't ever like I said I don't ever carry a bugle so I don't ever like locate with <laughs> locate with a bugle um maybe it would work I don't know I'm just too scared I guess <laughs> but uh um yeah I just I'm a big proponent of you know spotting scope binoculars uh, spending time behind there and uh, that that's nine out of ten that's how I locate them how many of the elk that you have killed have you spotted or located preseason probably zero really I don't know I can't think of one that's interesting <laughs> so last year um, I ended up killing a bull like the third day of season so like I put in a ton of scout time I did find a couple bulls that I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got this done. <laughs> I got yeah. this done. Well, one of which I located and then never could turn back up. And granted, 
there's a lot of reasons for that. Like I, I didn't spend a ton more time. It was like, I, again, going back to this, like bouncing all over the place. You know, I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm over here, mm-hmm. uh, spending do, doing that. Um, and then I, I never actually got back in there during season because I ended up killing an elk on the third day of season. So um, yeah. it makes it a little bit difficult. But it's that's part of the like what's drawing me towards that because it's like I locate a giant and then – I can't, you know, mm-hmm. or like he disappears or whatever. And so I'm always curious, like the guys that are really successful at open country hunting, are they all just locating them in the summertime? Like I spent the entire week before season glassing and scouting. Thinking, well, I, I think that's a big one. I mean, because really? that last week before season, not a whole lot changes, right? Yeah. The rut's not starting. The the food no sources aren't pressure. changing. You know, there's no pressure yet. I mean, I think that's a great time to do it. I have gone out scouting and found like groups of bulls, you know, bachelor groups and I have gone in there, you know, early season and killed one out of there, but maybe not one that I had seen or a particular mm-hmm. one, but yeah. in the same sense, kind of had scouted in and went in and got, you know, killed one of them. But, um, that, that week before season, I mean, that's prime time to scout. I mean, no, nothing really changes that time of year from the end of October yeah. or end of August to first of September that week in there, you know. Well, unless it's like last year where like freaking instantly storms opening day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but no, I man, I do. I think I think that's uh that is a huge key because you're 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 focusing on elk that aren't gonna change. You're focusing on like the human behavior aspect isn't gonna alter right. it right away. Right. Um and like being able to find those elk at that time. So it's like, I, I find you used to even once season opens, you have a you have a couple of days before the hunting pressure really starts to have a toll on them. You know? Do you worry about like the hunting pressure versus the elk you find? Like, if you find elk that are too close to the road, because let's be honest, like a week before season, you find them right next to the road. Like they don't, they may not care, but someone else probably knows about them. Yeah, I kind of write off those elk. I mean, unless oh, really? it was a four hundred incher, maybe I would keep an eye on it, but. Um, yeah, someone's going to know they're there and someone is going to be in there, you know? Um, I guess if there was a bull in there that I was, you know, really wanted to kill, I'd probably keep an eye on them. But I've seen that a lot of times of, you know, these elk right next to the road before season or something. And I know <laughs> if I saw them driving down the road, I'm not the only one that saw them driving yeah. down the road, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm finding this to be true. <laughs> so I just kind of write those off, you know, like I'll find some that yeah. not everyone's going to see, oh, you man. know? Um, as far as like making a move, you had talked about like getting in front of a herd. Do you feel like when is your op- like optimal time getting in front of a herd? Are you trying to move as they go to bed, get out of bed, or are you trying to kill them in their bed? Man, anytime, anytime in there. Pri- right. Primarily, um, I kind of like it when they're bedded because I know where things are at. I know where the cows are at. I know where the satellite bulls are at, and I can make a strategy of how to get in there. You mm-hmm. know, when they're moving, they're running around, boy, it's hard. You know, um, if, if they're moving like up a drainage or something, that's, that's ideal because, you know, you kind of got a little bit of a funnel and you can, but if they're moving across the open or through some timber, man, I, I hate, I don't even go after them if they're in the timber because you'll get busted nine times out of 10 by a cow or something. Um, you, you just don't know where they're at, you know, but like in more of that open country, I like to just, I'll follow them and just dog them until they bed down somewhere. 
and I'll circle around them as much as I can without getting winded and try to figure out where everything's laying, where they're at, um, and then develop a plan. Because at that point, you're really not in a hurry. Once they're bedded down, you have hours, right, yeah. as a general rule. Um, you have hours. So I'll take that time to really analyze the situation and really come up with the highest opportunity to get in there and and shoot them. And uh, if it if and I'll almost always do it, try, you know, yeah. like once I come up with a strategy, I'll almost always um, go for it unless the odds are so slim. <clears throat> and at that point, I'll just wait till evening and they'll they'll get up and move. And if if you know what's in that group, how many cows, how many bulls, and you can kind of keep an eye on them, like you just wait for the time to strike where that bull is, you know, on the right side of the herd to where you can get in there. Um, a lot of times in the rut, you know, they'll be moving around and, and, uh, eventually he'll make a mistake and come to your side of the herd, you know, and you gotta be ready to strike, you know, get in there. Um, you know, a lot of guys that hunt that style of just like dogging the herd, they'll, they'll basically wait until that bull is moving around and checking cows or like, you know, cause sometimes the bull is pretty, if there's no hot cows and the bull's just kind of occupying, yeah. he may not be checking cows yeah. or he may just be like hanging out, eating. Yeah. But if you can time it to where that bull's checking cows, you can see he's, you know, he's fired up. He's going and sniffing around. Like then it's like, okay, I'll make my move, get 60 yards from the closest cow and I'll just wait for my moment. You know what I mean? I'm, I mean, have to capitalize on that moment, but he's going to check. He's going to swing by. And I think if you're patient, yeah, they usually do. Yeah. And that's the thing with bow hunting too, is you just got to <laughs> be patient. You know, it's so easy to get excited and just think you got to, you know, make, make something happen right now. You know, where, like you said, I'll oftentimes do just that. I'll get 60 yards from, you know, the closest cow, you know, and just kind of wait it out and dog him and he'll eventually come around. There's times they don't, if they're not really rutting, like you said, they're just feeding and yeah. they may never come by, um, to your side, but it, it's so important to know what's in that group because inevitably if you don't know where they're all at and you're trying to sneak in, all of a sudden cow barks at you from the right. You know, <laughs> I didn't even know they were over there you yeah. know, 20 yards away or something I'm like shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that happens. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit of like, what, what's your strategy? What do you do when you lose a bull? Like, you're like, hey, found its great bull and it disappeared on me. Like, how do you, do you have a system? Like, do you systematically like search or you just like, ah, screw it on to the next one? No, um, I'd say there's a few different scenarios there. If, uh, if it's bumped by me or a hunter or something like that, those bulls are gone um, <laughs> i i'll probably look for that bull for a few days but i won't look for him the rest of the season well no um let's say i bumped him and you know he he took off running across the prairie with his herd you know or you know cross a bunch of drainages i'll go over that way and maybe spend a few days hunting over there trying to locate him but not back where i originally bumped him from i might come back there in a week Cause they'll oftentimes come back. Yeah. Um, funny story there. I killed a bull that way. I could, could I tell a story. I got a yeah. quick story. Yeah. These two bulls were fighting in the dark. Me and my buddy walked in pitch dark out here. These two bulls fighting and, uh, gets light out and 
one of them, the biggest one, was walking up this ridge. And I'm like, I got to go now to get in front of it. Circle around, get in front of it. He's coming up. It gets light out. I see it. And he's missing half his side on one side. He's like a seven point on one side. Um, he's a 360 type bull. Half the beam's missing on one side. Uh, Walks by me at 30 yards. And I'm like, God, did he bust it down there? You know, where yeah, they were fighting? <laughs> Or did he bust it a week ago, a month ago? I don't know. So I let him walk. He goes by. Me and my buddy walk down there, pick up the beam where they were fighting. Uh, I'm like, no. That was like on a Sunday or something. I had to go back to work, work all week, come back the next day. I'm like, I'm going to see if this bull's back and uh, get up on that ridge, gets light out. Within a few hundred yards, there he is, down there with some cows, coming up the same drainage, doing the exact same thing. I loop around, get in front of him, stick him. No way. Him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> like a week later, I, I uh, had that horn in my pickup. <laughs> so, like, I was all by myself, too. So I had to go back and, you know, get a pack frame and all that. So I grabbed that horn, come back, and I duct taped it all on for some photos and stuff. You'll see in one of my pictures, I got, like, black electrical tape or duct tape or something Dude, on there. that's actually really on. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was... A week later, uh, he was in the exact same spot oh, with this cow. Did you bump him the first time? No, or you just kind of I, I never off? bumped him. You never I, knew you were there? No, never knew I was there. But uh, I don't know if he hung out there the whole week or if he came back. But Do you feel like there's bulls in eastern Montana that just magically show up out of nowhere, like, late rut? Um, I mean, they came from somewhere. <laughs> they were somewhere <laughs> well, earlier. They were, they were somewhere. But, like, I feel like the little I know or the little experience I have, I feel like that you hear about, like, oh, giants showing up late. And I, I, maybe they were rutting somewhere else, you know, and maybe they're rutting on private, and then they end up yeah. going looking for more cows. I definitely think they're moving a lot more because I will hunt, you know, I have a couple of couriers that I like to go to off and on. I'm always, there's a lot of times there's always elk in there and I'll go look and see what caliber mm -hmm. bulls are in there, what's going on. And a lot of times late season bulls will show up that I hadn't seen all year, you know, and, and they're usually there one day, gone the next. And I think it's just what you say. They're rutting somewhere else. Well, now they're just looking for cows, you know, and they're coming through and yeah. checking all the cows and trying to find a hot one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I've seen that. Time and time again, October. That's why I like that late in October, <laughs> you know. Bulls just show up that you hadn't seen before and yeah. and they're moving, so they're visible. You know, they're not when like if you had to pick a date, when do you think the biggest bull show up to a herd? Because like there's a difference, you know, <laughs> this argument like, what is a herd bull? Well, you know, a two seventy bull is a herd bull on opening day. And mm -hmm. and then pretty soon a yeah. three twenty shows up and then pretty soon a three fifty shows up and then, you know, like so like when do you feel like you're like, okay, the big bulls are in the herd? I think. Or does it just depend? I think at least where I go, I mean, I think I have a pretty good idea. Those, those, the biggest bulls, you know, the, the true herd bulls, you know, the, the uh, mature bulls, they'll show up. They're not there the first week of season, maybe the second week of September, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're running herds from the second week of September to the end of season, you know, middle of October. Um, they're, they're not there at first, 
you know, <laughs> yeah. and they're not even there. Those, those little bulls be rough. I've actually seen, you know, 280 bulls breed cows, you know, the first week of September or whatnot, uh. you know, and there's no big herd bulls even around, Yeah, you know, um, I don't know if they, there's just so few of them in heat maybe. And I think maybe they've understood, like, I don't need to burn myself out early in the season. No, I mean, I <laughs> really tons of cows that. later. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I mean, know. I really think that's the thing. And I think it's across the board. Like I've seen it in Idaho in the brush country or even in Oregon, you know, like, yeah, there's some bulls that are running, running things early, but then pretty soon the big dogs show up. They come out of the deep, dark canyons and mm-hmm. out of whatever crevice rock they were yeah. living in. <laughs> yeah. But finding those before season seems to be the challenge. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've actually seen like a really big, what I would consider, you know, a big bull. What's a big bull to you? Mm, over 350. Okay. You know, um, well, I take them. I've seen 350 bulls, I guess, before season and in velvet and all that. But maybe those really big bulls, the next level, you know, 70s, 80s. I don't think I've ever seen one preseason, you really? know, bachelor group or by itself. I don't think so. I haven't seen that many in general, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, now, come to think of it, <laughs> no. <laughs> so so you feel like you're you're glassing. Do you, do you know I mean, like, just overall, does your tactics change throughout the season? Or is it pretty much the same? I think it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, slight things. You know, like I said, early season, the first week, if I see a, a bull I want to kill, I'll probably be less aggressive because I don't think he's going to be moving around. He's not chasing cows. I might be less aggressive then than I would be later. <laughs> but the tactics of locating them and what I would do to try to kill them, it's all the same. You know, it's funny is before the podcast, we we're talking about how like anymore it's like taking people hunting is, you know, that is what gets yeah. you, gets you hooked or get you going. Uh, I feel that way with people who don't bugle. I just want to take them hunting and like bugle in a bull in the dark timber. Like be like, see, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> like my buddy, Sean, like he's open country hunter through and through. Like he has no idea what a bugle. I don't think he's ever even bought in a bugle or a reed or any kind of call. Uh, and I want to like, just take him and like show him. There's just a few times in my life. I wish I could just put people with me when sure. it was like sheer chaos or like a giant bull, just like growling right in your face. Be like, look, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and come with a guy who never calls, you know, I've had that happen. You know I mean? True. They, they bugle True. in my face, you know, all the time. Maybe just, get in their wig, you know, or, yeah. and they're try- either whether they're pushing cows or, or whatever they're doing, you know, I've, I've been in those big bugle fests. I'm just not the one making any bugles. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, dude. No, it's exciting. Um, everyone has their techniques, I guess. I don't know if there's a right or a wrong, but no, I, don't, I, don't I think, think it so. varies so much of where you're at too, you know, uh, and, and I mean, and what you want to kill. I mean, I can, I I would bugle at a raghorn all day. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to do that. If and you just wanted to kill an elk, would you be would you go back to calling like, "Hey, I just want to kill an elk"? I, I think I would. Really? Because I've I've actually done that. Like, I, I'm not too proud to shoot a raghorn. Come, yeah. you know, end of season. <laughs> I, I I like to eat elk. You yeah. know, I've called in uh, uh, small bulls. You know, uh, towards the end of season, just to you know fill the freezer. Yeah. The freezer. yeah. For no. sure. I, man, I 100% agree. Like, I, I think when a push comes to shove and you got to fill the freezer, like, I, I think if I had to just go kill an elk tomorrow, like, that was my job, hands down, I'm going to go call elk. I mean, I'm biased for my own reasons, but I still think that's the best tactic. Like, hey, go. I think that's the easiest way. 
Yeah. You they know, just let, get close to let her. them come to you rather than you always trying to go to them. Yeah. But, and it's probably the most efficient um, in the whole scheme of things. If you just want to kill an elk, it's probably the most efficient way time and time again that you're going to consistently sure. kill one. Yeah. yeah. I also say, well, there's one caveat to that. Don't go just wandering around in the woods making elk calls. Like, find the elk, find the herd. So, like, almost hunt like you would be looking for a herd bull or a trophy bull and then start doing the cow calling. Like, get close and then start doing it. Because, like, walking around, walking roads and just cow calling mm-hmm. is, like, a very inefficient way. You're going to spend a lot of time making setups, calling, nothing. Make a setup, call, nothing. Yeah. And I think when density gets lower, it gets even harder. <laughs> so, there's that. But, uh yeah anyway man well thanks again uh we'll have to post some pictures or something of your uh duct tape together bowl and <laughs> <laughs> share some people but, uh, yeah dude. i took a i had a tent stake i had a tent <laughs> and a, actually the beam broke in like five spots oh really and i found every single piece except one little piece the size of about a nickel oh, that's crazy and I just split it like in five pieces all five pieces laying in a you know, 10 by 10 place on the ground where they were just fighting. And I got it all glued and taped back together and it's only missing one little piece. Yeah. That's crazy. Would you, did you like put it back there, have the taxidermists put it back together? No, I still, I actually glued it. I took the tape off, but now it's glued, (laughs) but it's all together, but glued. Yeah. You can't hardly even tell. Like if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't even notice. Oh, probably not. Looking at it on the wall. Like, it's not like you look for that. <laughs> and it's all nice, clean breaks, you know, and the piece that's missing is on the inside of the beam. Uh-huh. So, so you can't even tell? Not really, no. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, so this weekend, um, this past weekend, I found a deadhead, like a really nice one. Elk? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm sweet. Stoked, stoked about it, which is funny because, like, I always give, uh, you'll appreciate this because you're a shed hunter, but my buddy Ryan Lampers, he's he, he picked up some sheds on his bear hunt and I was giving him yeah, I saw that. shit for it. I was like, I would never pick those up. And then I ended up packing out a deadhead like three miles. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's one thing too. Like I, I've been, I've done a ton of shed hunting every year for 10, 12, 15 years back before it was cool. And, uh, I have yet to pick a big deadhead. Really? No. I've only found two ever, ever, ever. Like, huh. well, I mean, other than like, probably some little tiny things or whatever, yeah but i found a few raghorns over years but never like a good yeah. big one i keep thinking oh, one of these days i see these pictures of guys like you know oh, i found this big deadhead you know, i'm like <laughs> i never have dude and this one was like dark horn still uh, like river it was in a, i don't know if it was a winter kill or a wolf oh yeah still hiding a little bit of meat on it so hmm. i mean it, it was definitely cleaned like wolves had eaten it and stuff so hmm. um but super cool well, that's cool yeah, so now I'm all jacked for hunting season. <laughs> <laughs> Except he's not in there. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's what it is. But. Uh, alrighty, man. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on. Good luck this year. Yeah, thank you. Expect the big things. <laughs>